Hey, everybody. It's me again. Uh, so glad to see everybody here. Um, we are in the top of uh, a new month. October. Wow. October. Um, a new series. But before we get into it, I, I do just want to uh, say that, I don't know about you guys, but from the last series, um, there's a scripture that says, what is preached is, is manifested. And I really do believe that spending four weeks on faith really manifested in our lives. I believe that there has been a change of faith in my heart, um, a renewed faith, a, a stronger faith. And I'm excited, given what the series is about this month, um, I'm really excited what's going to be manifested um, through through our church and in our church, in our hearts, in our community. Um, before we get into it, let's 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 stir up our faith. Let's get our minds prepared. Let's get our hearts prepared, and and say these words before we get into it. So say, the word of God is the bread of life. May my heart conceive it and my life achieve it. The more I give life, the more I'll receive. The more I live life, the more I'll believe. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen, amen. All right, so the series for October is called Zeal for the House. Zeal for the House. My prayer is that through these five weeks, we are going to develop a strong and even consuming zeal for the house of God. For those of you who don't know, the word zeal, it means passion. It means fire, fervor, enthusiasm. And by house, I'm talking about the house of God, the house of God, the place where God dwells. The house of God is, has, has changed over years. In the beginning, it was this uh, Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament, and then it was a temple in the Old Testament, and then it became the church, the body of Christ, the body of believers, the gathering of believers is what facilitates the, the house of God. And the reason why it's God's will for us to be full of zeal for the house is because Jesus was filled with zeal for the house. The Bible says that he was consumed with zeal for the house of God. So as Christians, as followers of Jesus, I want us to chase that zeal. I want us to receive that zeal through Jesus Christ. And this whole month is going to be about it. Uh, when you have zeal for something, you, you work for it. You, you build it. When you have zeal for something, you, you talk about it. You, you think about it. You're willing to fight for it. And all of these things the house of God needs more people willing to fight for it, willing to protect it, willing to, to, to get excited about it, to help build it. The Bible says that the harvest is plentiful, but there's not enough laborers. And there's people that need to be zealous for the work of the Lord. Because why? The, honestly, the most obvious reason is our Lord and Savior is zealous for the work of the Lord. So, so as we follow him, I believe that we should receive that. And, and why is the house of God something that I think is worthy of not just zeal, but consuming zeal? And that is because I believe the house of God, and hear me when I say this, the house of God is the sole solution, God's ordained solution for every issue in our world. 
If you look at Scripture, you will see every single category of problem, whether it's economic, whether it's social, whether it's medical, whether no matter what issue you can think of, the Bible shows that the house of God has always been God's ordained way to, to address issues and bring answers to our communities, to our families, to our government, to all of it. I truly believe the house of God, we are the light of the world. We are the beacon for our nation. We are the beacon for the city. We are the beacon for our schools. We are the beacon of light for, for every place that we stand. So it's important that, that we marry our heart to the house of God because it's through the house of God that the presence of God reaches everywhere that it needs to reach. Um, the, the, the vision at Nashville Life is following Jesus and building leaders. But the mission is through four steps, and that is to know God, that is to find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. Know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. And these four steps, I truly believe, are the steps that it takes to change the world. What it happens is one person finds God, and they discover freedom in their heart. And they discover their purpose, why they've been created. And then they start making a difference. And that making a difference, what happens is it ends up in impacting someone else's life who then knows God and then finds freedom and then discovers their purpose and starts making a difference. And that difference ends up changing somebody else. And it goes person to person, family by family, household by household, community by community, friend group by friend group. And before you know it, you've got a changed city. And then you know, you got to change state, and then you got to change nation. And I truly believe that's how the kingdom of God grows. But in order to do this, we got to have zeal. We got to be passionate about this. It's too it's too hard of a work for us not to have an enthusiasm and a supernatural passion. And the good news of the gospel is Jesus wants to share that passion with us. He has shared it with us, and this is going to uncover. Uh, how, how we utilize it, how we use it, and why it's so important. Um, mission. Nashville Life is, is a, a, a missional church. This house is, is, a, is a house on a mission. Um, I believe that there can be maintenance churches, and there can be missional churches, and that means people who have a purpose, a house that's on a move, and our move and our mission is to make disciples. Our mission is to, to, to build people into strong followers of Christ, and there's so many ways to do that, and in Nashville Life, we, we, we give to this purpose. We don't just talk about it, but we give our energy to it. We give our finances to it. Um, our church tithes um, 10% of all of the, our contributions to outside missions, um, to missions that are international, to missions that are national, and mission work that is local. There's a lot of great local mission work that's, that's feeding the hungry, that's clothing families, that's educating children, that's, that's uh, we, we, I'm grateful to say that we help support operational budgets for some amazing nonprofits and charities that are doing work in, in subcultures and, and areas and issues of society that, that do a much better job than we do. And my most favorite thing that we invest in in our missional work is planting churches. We get to contribute to 
the funding that can plant churches all around our country. And the reason why that's my favorite is because of the zeal that I have for the house. I truly believe that wherever there is a local church, there is the presence of God. There is hope. There is healing. There is a beacon for the city. So when I think of more and more of these uh, local churches being planted around the country and even uh, across the seas, it gets me excited because I know the purpose and the power of the local church. If you've, if you've met with me uh, more than a couple times, you've probably heard me say, I, I'm a, I love Nashville life, but I'm a bigger advocate for the local church than I am for Nashville life. I truly believe that the local church is the greatest. I believe it's God-ordained. I believe it's anointed to, to change families, to save communities, and to save lives. So let's talk about how to build that zeal so that we can stay in this, so that we can have our strength renewed and that we can have, uh, like what the song said, that they that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall run and not faint. We're going to need zeal to keep on going. Uh, Romans 12, verse 11. Romans 12, verse 11 says, never be lacking in zeal, but keep the spiritual fervor your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. I'm going to read it one more time because it's very clear. Never. Everyone say never. It says never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord, which means zeal is not meant to be seasonal. There's no such thing as I'm being called to a season of zeal. And now I'm being called to a season of cool down. It says never. Never not be enthusiastic about serving the Lord. And the reason why, again, that this is an appropriate word for Christians is because we follow Jesus, someone who was always full of zeal and enthusiasm for serving his father's house. And it's amazing the, the degree of passion that he had that took him all the way to the cross. Guys, we have a commander-in-chief. We, we have a Lord. We have a Messiah. We have a king who was so passionate about the house of God that he gave his only, I mean, he gave his life. He was crucified. That's, that's why they call it the passion of the Christ. It takes zeal. It takes passion. It takes fervor to do that level of service. And we are the ones who've been chosen to follow him. We are the ones who've made the decision to follow in his footsteps. So if, if God is full of passion, he's calling us to be full of passion, which is why that word says never lack it. Never lack it. But the cool thing about it is, the Lord instructs us on how to keep that fervor. It takes, it's not by accident. I was talking to a brother today, uh, this week, about, hey, it takes effort to keep your fire alive. Uh, I was blessed with zeal for the house of God while I was at the house of my parents back in 2011. And when I saw the glory of God touch people's lives, and the idea that that can keep going beyond the living room and to 
uh, all parts of the city and all parts of the country and all over the world, the, there was an impartation. There was an impartation. The zeal of God's, for God's house was, was given to me and my family and so many others. And so many of us are still trucking. We're still going. And I can't wait to see where else this zeal takes us. Um, I'm going to read about Jesus's zeal for the house. Uh, I'm going to read a passage in Luke chapter 19, um, starting at verse 41 through 46. Now, this is the time of Passover, and Jesus is coming through on uh, a cult, and they are all uh, worshiping him and praising him. And this was a very significant time because, you know, the, uh, the Passover is a celebration of an event that happened in Egypt that really foreshadows uh, what Jesus ended up doing. There was a, a lamb that was killed, and the blood of the lamb is what saved the Israelites from death, and the blood was the mark of their salvation. And then you have the actual lamb of God coming through on Passover, so it's like this crazy, like almost meta thing of like the, 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 the actual Passover lamb is present when they're celebrating Passover, and it was this really, the Bible says it was, this, it was a very significant time in history, and as amazing as that time was, an actual history where the actual Passover lamb was coming through town on Passover, knowing what he was about to do, it was a very significant time in history, and the Bible says that Jesus had a reaction when he realized that people didn't get it. They didn't get how significant the moment was, and they missed it. And it really made him sad. So we're going to talk about it. It says, now he, as he drew near, talking about Jesus, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, if you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace. Jesus is saying, if you, they only knew how miraculous this work was and how much I'm making available to them and how rich this salvation was and how much heaven and earth are moving for their benefit, if they had any clue. But now they are hidden from your eyes. Jesus says, you guys are blinded to the very salvation that's in front of you. Verse 43, for days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you and close you in on every side and level you and your children within you to the ground. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. I'm going to stop there. Basically, Jesus says this is the time of your visitation. The Messiah is here. But the people that, was, that, were, that were looking at him were blinded to the actuality of what he was bringing. And it made him sad because when you miss your salvation, 
when you miss the miracle that's in front of you, when you don't recognize the presence of your help right when it's staring at you in the face, what happens is you forfeit the benefits of salvation. You forfeit the, the glory and the miracle of this visitation. And Jesus was going, man, y'all are experiencing an actual visitation right now, but you don't get it. You don't see it. And therefore, a lot of bad things are going to happen to you. And he was crying. The Bible says that God takes no pleasure in the wicked perishing, just so you guys know that. It hurts him. He doesn't get happy when he sees evil people die terrible deaths and, and perish and go to hell. It is not, it gives him no pleasure. And this is a testament because Jesus was seeing a group of people who were blinded towards their salvation. The Bible says that he started crying because he said, man, because you guys are missing this visitation, your enemies are going to surround you. Your children are going to be endangered. And everything that you build will be destroyed. And he was crying because he was seeing, because they're not going to recognize me, because they're not grabbing hold of this salvation that's in front of them. Because they're blind, their enemies would surround them, their children would be endangered, everything they built would be destroyed. And that really covers every possible <laughs> terrible thing. Like imagine enemies, both physical and spiritual enemies, Children, your future children, your generation, that your future is just it's like leveled to the ground. And then it says everything that you build. And that's like economical. Like you can think of every area. You can think of it spiritually. You can think of it figuratively with your dreams, the dreams that you're building, or your career. Imagine putting in money and time and nothing, everything that you build just falls down to the ground. And these are the issues of those people that miss the visitation, and it's the issue of people today. People are being overtaken by their enemies, overtaken. People's families and generations are declining, one generation after the other, same cycles. Children are, are losing their lives prematurely, not being taken care of, no hope, no future, no fathers, no mothers, and then things that we're building, we're seeing destroyed, and it's bringing discouragement and despair. And these things is what made Jesus cry. If you're feeling sad right now, Jesus says, I get it. Because it's sad to think about, especially what could have been, if they had only recognized the visitation, if they only seized the blessing. But since they didn't, he said bad things would happen. Verse 45, then he went into the temple. Next verse, then he went into the temple. I'm going to stop there. I believe that Jesus, I know that he understood what we're trying to understand today, and that is the presence of God is a solution to all the problems that he listed. All three of the things that he said was going to be happening to these people he says, let me go to the temple and let me get the temple prepared because the temple has to be the beacon for these hurting people. The temple has to be the help and the solution for these people who are surrounded by their enemies and children are being destroyed and, and everything they're working for is falling down to the ground. I'm going to go to the temple. I'm going to go to my father's house 
because the Father's house is the place that facilitates the solutions. But when he went to his Father's house, he didn't see what he was supposed to see. He didn't see a house of prayer. He said, and began to drive out those who bought and sold in it, saying to them, it is written, my house is a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. And let me explain to you, the buying and selling, they were selling the animals that they sacrificed and worshipped. So back during that time, the way that you worshipped God um, wasn't, was, was by, by, by slaughtering animals and killing them, and that's, that was a sacrifice to God. So they were selling oxen and, and doves and sheep. They were selling these things so that people can buy it and sacrifice it. But if you read and search, research, you'll see that they used to upcharge the Gentiles. The Jews used to upcharge the Gentiles because there were Gentiles that were wanting to know God. There were Gentiles that were wanting to come into the temple. They were wanting to learn about God and convert. But out of the prejudice of their heart, the Jews were upcharging Gentiles and basically creating barriers for people to encounter God. Those tables represent barriers that the people of God were creating, keeping the people out instead of drawing them in. And when you have zeal for the house and you want the house of God to do its job, nothing makes you more upset than when the people that are supposed to be welcoming are creating barriers and making hindrances for people to experience the presence of God. So he said, this was not what my house was supposed to be. My father's house was not supposed to be this. So he drove them out and cleaned house. Jesus cleaned house in the temple. There's another account that talks about it from another perspective, and I want us to go to John chapter 2. John chapter 2, verse 13 through 17. Verse 13 says, The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons, and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned the tables. And when he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away, do not make my house, my, my father's house, a house of trade. His disciples, so after he did this, his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. So, the disciples are wa is watching Jesus clean house in the temple. They're, they're watching him remove these tables, remove these barriers, remove this, these distractions, and saying, this is what my house is supposed to be. This is what my father's house is supposed to be. And I think it's really interesting that the disciples that were watching Jesus said, it is written. There's a messianic uh, psalm from David that we're going to read where he foreshadows Jesus. By the way, David, a lot of David's scriptures foreshadows Jesus in some very obvious major ways that you can see. And it's really interesting to see how David really uh, was, a, was a foreshadowing for, for the Messiah in many ways. But there's a scripture where he says, zeal for your house, talking about the Father, will consume me. 
And I think it's really interesting and kind of prophetic that, that when the disciples saw Jesus basically fulfilling this scripture, like the Father's house, zeal for the Father's house is consuming Jesus. And they were watching him act out of zeal and passion and enthusiasm for the Father's house. And I love how the Holy Spirit made the connection. It's like, oh, that was what was written in Psalm. The, the zeal of God's house is consuming Jesus. And they were watching him in action, walking in this. There's, there's another translation that says, zeal for your house has eaten me up. That's what it means to be consumed. I'm not talking about just be excited about the house of God. Jesus had a consuming zeal, a zeal that took over him for the house of God. I feel like it's important to clarify that the zeal that Jesus had for his house was for the Father's house. The past year and a half, I've seen a lot of people connect their anger and their actions to Jesus flipping over the tables. I don't think I've heard people refer to Jesus flipping over the tables more in the past year and a half than I have, or my whole life in the past year and a half. And I feel the need to bring some clarity and let you guys know if you're rightly comparing your anger to Jesus when he overturned the tables. Jesus overturning the tables is not our excuse to justify being mad over world events. Jesus flipping over tables and over, is not a way for you to have a green light to rant and be mad over things happening in the world. Jesus, first of all, just so you guys know, a lot of horrible things have been happening in the world since Cain and Abel. Okay, and my point is, guys, if you read the scriptures, Jesus, his zeal was specifically for the house of God. I'm not saying that he didn't care that bad things were happening in the world. In fact, I know he cared, but he understood that the root cause solution was only provided through the house of God, which is why you don't see Jesus walking around like Spider-Man and Batman catching bad guys. Jesus wasn't going to banks and catching robbers. He wasn't going to, not because he wanted robbery to happen, but he knew that during my limited time here, I have got to focus on the root situation and the only thing that I will do, even though they might want me to go do that and go help that person and go save that thing, I am about my father's business and that is the only thing that I am consumed by. Jesus was not obligated to support and fight against every single cause because he didn't have to because the reason why is the house of God will simultaneously touch on every issue through the, the root situation. Jesus' zeal was for the house of God. So unless your zeal is making you more excited about the house of God, don't compare it to Jesus anymore. I told myself I wasn't going to fuss today. But, but you, you, we, we got to stop doing it. We got to stop doing it. We got to stop haphazardly 
and irresponsibly linking a holy fire for the house of God for carnal human emotions. Just because you're mad doesn't mean it's the spirit of God. Just because you recognize that things should be better, don't disrespect Jesus and and bring his fire for the house of God down to your emotions because it's not accurate. And the reason why I know it's not accurate because the fruit, you can always tell the fruit, you can always tell the quality of a seed by the fruit. So someone who's comparing their anger to Jesus when he was flipping the tables and the results are they're, they're further away from the church? They're further away from the house of God? That is, first of all, Jesus overturned the table while in the house of God. He wasn't out at home somewhere going, Duh. he was, first of all, he's in it. So if you're gonna, do I know there's issues in the church? Absolutely, but I'm here. You have to make a point if you're going to want it to get better, contribute to the solution. Jesus said, I know that things aren't going well, but I'm here. I'm committing to the solution. You can't, you can't pretend that you have this holy, righteous issue with Jesus, and you're somewhere 10 feet away, 30 feet away, miles and miles away going, man, this is a holy fire. Woo. No, Jesus was in the center of the mess because he goes, on its best day, I'm from the house of God. If it's on its worst day, I'm for the house of God. It was a consuming zeal. Consuming fire for the house of God is not a license for you to be an outside critic. Separating yourself from the very thing that you're claiming is the same fire of the one that was dead smack in the middle, ride or die. I am in this temple, even though it's filled with a den of thieves, I'm still in it. Well, you know, the house of God is a den of thieves, so I don't go anymore. Jesus goes, no, I'm going to be in it. I'm going to drive it out from the inside. You can't drive out the den of thieves from the outside. We're trying to fix the church from the outside. Jesus says, I'm going to be right in the middle and drive it out from the inside. If you're not on the inside, I don't want to hear any complaints. If you're not on the inside, save it. Because our Savior, our Lord, he handled the issues of the house of God from the inside. It was a consuming zeal for the house of God. Psalm 69, verse 9. This is is the scripture the disciples are referring to when they said, man, this is is just like Psalms 9. When they were watching Jesus do his thing, they, they were referring to this passage. It says, for zeal for your house has consumed me. Guys, this is it. And the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. David said, I am so consumed with the Father's house that if someone insults God, I feel like it's insulting me. I'm so one with God that if someone is talking against the house of God, 
it falls on me. That's what David said. Really random uh, reference, but the movie, uh, some of y'all have seen it, E.T. Uh, E.T., there's this really weird scene, actually, when they were trying to show the connection that he had with Elliot. He had a great connection with the little boy, Elliot. And there was a scene where Elliot was at school and E.T. was at home. And they were doing this series of events that when things happened to E.T., Elliot would feel it at school so much to where E.T. found himself in the refrigerator and he opened up a, a can of beer. And he drank the beer and Elliot burped at school as if he was drinking the, the beer. And then E.T. started feeling a little loopy and buzzed. And Elliot, it's at school, acting drunk. So they're showing this connection. And as random of a connection as that was, that's what David is saying is with him and God. I'm so after, the Bible says David was after God's heart. So I, David had a heart connection with God. So when things, you know, we sing the song, break my heart for what breaks yours. David actually reached that to where when something hurt God, it hurt him. If something pleased God, it pleased him. There was a connection. So my point is, that's what happens when you become consumed with zeal for the house of God, that, that you are committed to it to where if, if, if it's a bad day for the house of God, you're feeling that bad day because you're in it. You don't, when you have a zeal for the house of God, you don't give yourself the luxury of separating yourself from it when, they're having its, bad, when it's having its bad day. David said, when it's a reproach against you, it's on me too. Some of us are willing to say, if the blessings are on it, it's on me too. But David said, I'm going to take this next step. If the reproaches are on it, it's on me too. Reproaches, negative. Which means you can't, if you, when you're, which is why we must be consumed. Because when you have a consuming zeal for the house, it's not Conditional. I'm with them, I'm with the house of God as long as X, Y, and Z. David said, even when there's reproach, I feel it, it falls on me. So my point is, that was a foreshadowing of Jesus. Jesus shared the same consuming zeal for the house of God. And why? Why? I have a the, my last scripture is, is on why I believe. There's several reasons, but I want to highlight through 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5. Let me catch us up again one more time. The house of God is pretty much whatever, whatever facilitates the presence of God, whatever is the carrier for the presence of God. So if you look in Old, Old Testament history, there was this thing called the Ark of the Covenant. It was relatively small. You could carry it with a few people. There was a time in history where the presence of God was carried by this, this, this ark. And even though this ark was just made of natural wood and stones and basic things, because it was the carrier of the presence of God, they treated it with the same amount of fear as if it was God himself. Like there were, ish, there were times where the ark of the covenant was mishandled and people died. It wasn't registered of God, oh, that was just some wood, we'll just get another wood, oh, that was just some stone, we'll get some other stone. 
because of the purpose, because it carried the presence of God, it was treated with the same amount of reverence as God himself. So then it moved on. He goes, I don't want to be in the Ark of the Covenant anymore. I'm moving on. Temple. So it was a temple. Same thing with the temple. Even though it was made with natural things and things that, can kind of, that are produced all over the world, it was treated with such a level of reverence because it carried the presence of God. And if things were done improperly in the temple, people died. Hundreds of thousands of people died simply because of things with the temple. Even though it was just stones and even though it was just wood and even though it was just screws and nuts and bolts, it was the carrier of the presence of God. So Jesus says something really controversial. He said, I'm going to tear down this temple and I'm going to rebuild it in three days. And they're like, what? Because remember, that's a big deal. To to misuse and mishandle the carrier of the presence of God is a big deal. So it really made them nervous when he said it, but he said, I'm going to rebuild it. And he rebuilt it. When he resurrected from the grave, he rebuilt it through this thing called the church. And now, instead of wood and stones and nuts and bolts that carry the presence of God, it was human beings that gathered together and through their assembly, It was this facilitator of God's presence. It was this carrier of God's presence. And just like the Ark of the Covenant and just like the temple, it has to be treated with much care and much reverence because it is the care. Don't be like carnal people and go, oh, it's just wood and stone. It's just people. It's just a man. It's just a girl. It's just a lady. No. Don't make the same mistake of the people that misjudge the Ark of the Covenant as just stone and wood. That doesn't really matter what we do with it because it's just stone and wood. It's not God. Want to bet? Those guys died because it was in the wrong room. And they thought, well, I didn't say, God, I curse you because you didn't have to. If you curse my home, you're cursing me. Same with the temple. Let's not make the same mistake and go, man, it's just, it's just people. It's just, it's just a gathering of people. What is, guys, remember, if it's carrying the presence of God, it must be revered. It must be treated with care. It needs to be thought of more than just what meets the eye. Don't be like, that's what made Jesus cry. Because he was dealing with people who were only looking at what meets the eye. They just saw this Mary and Joseph's kid on a donkey. And he goes, they're missing it. They're actually getting a visitation from from God himself. And because they're blind to the visitation that's happening, they're missing on the salvation. So let's not look at this as just a group of folks. This is the house of God. 2 Peter 1.5, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Stop looking at each other just like basic folks. But this doesn't say you guys are a bunch of basic folks coming together, singing songs so you can go to lunch. 
it says you are living stones, individuals. Each one of us is a living stone. But the reason why you can't just do this by yourself on your own is because we're living stones being built up as a spiritual house. That means one. Not two spiritual houses. Not a young people's spiritual house and an old people's spiritual house. Not a black people's spiritual house and a white people's spiritual house. Not a vaccinated spiritual house and a non-vaccinated spiritual house. A spiritual house. If you reject that A, you're rejecting the whole thing. We are living stones being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. And this is our purpose, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God, ones that he accepts, not just anything. We have to do our research and know what kind of sacrifices does the Lord accept. He doesn't accept any and everything. You have to make sure that what you're sacrificing is acceptable because if you make your own ones, again, People have died. There are a lot of people, hundreds of thousands of people who have died because they offered a scent that was not acceptable to him. We've got to make sure we do our research. Lord, what is it that you accept? Otherwise, why did it say acceptable to God? To offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Awesome. Thank you, Jesus, right? Because if we just, he's he, when we offer it through him, he sanctifies it. He takes out all the impurities, and he makes sure that it's something that God the Father can accept. Let me end with this. The reason why we have to have zeal for the house, it is, the only, it is only the house of God who has been ordained and designated to offer spiritual sacrifices to God. Only the house of God. Only the royal priesthood has the green light and has the credentials and the, the approval. We, have, we are the only ones in this whole world who are ordained to offer spiritual sacrifices to God through Jesus Christ. If you remember the Old Testament, the role of the priest, his spiritual sacrifice that he offered to God, first of all, was a really big deal. He was always nervous because if he did it wrong, he would die. <laughs> and they tied a rope around his ankle because the guys didn't want to go in and get him because they would die too. So they made it to where, imagine going to someone having a rope just in case you die and your friends don't have to go in and die too. Like, that's how serious this is. That's why not anybody can just do this. It's only the priest that was ordained. And when he went in, even he was going, I hope this works. And he offered it. And if he died, he'd drop and they would pull him out. And let's try again next month. My point is that priest, that priesthood has become a priesthood. And it's the church. And when we come together and we offer spiritual sacrifices to God, it accomplishes the same things that the priest's sacrifice would accomplish. The priest would go in on behalf of the sinners in his camp. 
and he would offer up a spiritual sacrifice to God. And if God accepted it, that means the, 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 the people's sins were forgiven and they could live at peace with God. So what happens is Jesus, he's the high priest. He gave the ultimate sacrifice on the cross, and it's because of him that people can be saved. Our sins are forgiven. The church has a very unique situation. The church, we are the body of Christ. And even though we're saved and we're redeemed, there's a lot of people who aren't. There's still a lot of people who are in sin. What if I told you that it's our spiritual sacrifices to God that grants mercy and grace and time and conviction for the sinners who yet to believe. This is not just a meeting at 2 o'clock to sing and see your friends and feel encouraged and go eat. If that's what we have made out to be as a pastor, I apologize. If that's what you've gotten from this place, Nashville Life, I apologize. Because what this place is meant to be is we as a collective priesthood, a bunch of living stones being built up to build a spiritual house, when we offer spiritual sacrifices to God, what it does is it grants time and mercy for the millions out there who still are in sin. We are the salt of the earth. We preserve this world. The reason why sinners haven't dropped dead now is because the priesthood is still offering spiritual sacrifices, staying in the grace of God so that those who are in sin can have time to come through and get right. I'm so glad there was a church before me that was committed to offering sacrifices Because I could have died before the age of 23. I could have died in my sin. But the Lord, because of the faithfulness of his people, the people who are willing to lay down all of their stuff because there's a guy named Alvin out there that still hasn't come in yet. And if we don't continue to worship God and intercede on his behalf, he's going to die in his sin and go to hell. So I'm a recipient of that. I'm a recipient of that kindness. But I'm also now responsible because how dare I receive the sacrifices of the church to get saved. And then the minute that I'm in, I don't want to extend the same favor for the next person. Guys, we must understand that the same mercy and grace and forgiveness that we've received We are now responsible and accountable to pay it forward. We are saved today because someone decided to stay faithful to the house of God long enough for you to finally decide to choose them for yourself. And all God is saying is, remember that. And remember that you, you weren't the only lost person that he loved. I know he's a good job at making you feel like it's just you and him, but you're not the only one that he died for. You're not the only one that he wanted to deliver. And I know it feels good to get in. Ooh, I got in. But it's through Jesus that we receive the same heart, but going, there's somebody else. So when we come together, that's why we have to have zeal for the house, because this is the same house that saved you. 
It's the same body of Christ that ministered to you. It's the same body of Christ that brought you into the family. And you feel so accepted and loved. And then when it's time to have zeal for someone else, I just don't know if I'm in that season. I just don't know if I'm in the season of enthusiasm for serving God. I think he wants to talk to me about this, I don't know, anything is ludicrous compared to offering spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to him through Jesus Christ. This is why Romans 12, 11 says, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Can you pull that one more time? Romans 12, 11. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. There's other ones that say always be enthusiastic. Just some of y'all are like, let me try the other translations. You're not going to find a translation that gives you an open window to not be full of zeal for serving him. That song, Wait on the Lord... Yes, there's waiting of like, I'm waiting for something great to happen. But waiting is also what waiters do at a restaurant. In fact, they don't call you, they don't call them waiters anymore. They call them what? Servers. Waiting is serving. Waiting is not sitting. Waiting is not even fasting. Waiting is serving. Isaiah said sitting at home and fasting is not the call. That's not the fast I'm calling you to. He said the fast, so for those of you who are praying and fasting, even then he says be active. Active. Fast feeding the poor. Fast cooking for somebody else. Fast driving somebody to church. Fast going to Belmont saying, or TSU or some school, hey, does anybody need to ride to church? That's how you fast. That's how you wait. And a lot of us are waiting going, my strength hasn't been renewed. The Bible says that they that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength, and I'm still weary because you're not doing anything. You serve by, you wait by serving, and as you serve, the strength will be renewed. I used to run six miles every day for a couple of years. And there was always a point in my time, and it was usually mile two and a half, three, that every bone in my body was saying stop. Every bone in my body was saying, you got to stop. Just stop. For, just walk for a second. Just walk. And it happened every time, no matter how in shape I got. It always happened. And every time I knew that that was my cue to keep running. And past that run, it never failed. I crossed a threshold where I felt like I could run for four or five more miles. It's called a second win. And then it's called a third one. And then it's called a fourth one. That's how you stay in. Guys, how do you think I'm still this hype about Jesus and it's been 10 years? Learn, if, it, if it matters, if it matters, if it matters, I don't even know if it matters anymore. If it matters to see people who've actually been proven and done it. If it matters to look at a Priscilla and a Pastor CC and a Pastor Alvin. If it matters 
If it matters to look at a lily, if it matters to look at a tree, if it matters to see the folks who are still in it, if you asked them, they said, I kept going. If it matters to know that people have gone before you and broken through that threshold and their strength is renewed, zeal comes. Next week, I'm going to preach on Haggai. And that, I don't want to preach it too soon because we got to go. But guys, it's, a, it's so good because it's about... It shows you that there's a way to find zeal for the house of the Lord. Never be lacking in zeal and serving the Lord. The Lord is not going to tell you to never have ze- to never be lacking in zeal and enthusiasm for serving the Lord and then turn around and tell you to stop serving. He might say, change how you're serving. He might say, serve this way instead of that way. But he's never. Think about it. Why would God say never lack in zeal in serving the Lord and then say stop? Guys, every voice that we hear is not God's voice. Church, if we're going to go through this next season, we've got to be a little bit more mature and compare our thoughts with the ultimate authority, and that is the word. Never lack in zeal. And if you lost it, it's okay, because Jesus lives inside your heart, and he's full of zeal. That's the good news. The one who lives in you according to your faith is full of fire. He's got that fuego. He is ready for the house of God. Not fire, period. Fire for the house of God. We got to finish the phrase. I'm not talking about zeal. I'm talking about zeal for the house of God. Of God. He lives in us. And if He doesn't live in you, He can today. I'm going to invite you guys to receive Jesus. Jesus can come into your heart. And the Bible says that everything that Jesus has, He shares with those who invite Him in. Every ounce of revelation that He has, you have access to. Every ounce of peace that He has, you have access to. Isn't that good news? So I'm going to pray. Father, thank you for your spirit. Thank you for the zeal for the house of God that David sensed and David had, but then Jesus fulfilled when he died on the cross. Lord, there was so much zeal for your house that he, he sacrificed his own life and shed his blood so that we could join in to the house of God, the family of God, the work of the Lord, the mission of Christ. 
Father, I thank you, Lord, for so many in this room who because of that sacrifice and because of the sacrifice of the saints, saints from ancient days, saints from modern day, people who've gone before us, who kept serving, who kept praying, who kept, who kept sharing, kept inviting, kept picking up, kept offering, kept extending a hand, kept contributing, kept tithing, kept giving. All the saints, Lord, we thank you for everyone who came before us, who came before us through Jesus Christ. And because of their spiritual sacrifices, we're here today. Father, I pray that you break our heart for what breaks yours. We see in Luke, Luke that you cried when you thought of the consequences of people who missed the visitation. Lord, it made you cry. God, I pray, Lord, that the lost would be an, uh, a, a, a motivation and an inspiration for us showing up, and not just showing up, but showing up with enthusiasm, with zeal, ready to offer up spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to you. Lord, and we believe that just like the saints of old and the saints that, that, that minister to us so that we could be here, we will be those same saints to, to new people, to new people who don't know you right now. Now's the time for us to, I feel like we need to offer up spiritual sacrifices to God. And a lot, that looks a lot of, a lot of different ways, but for the corporate gathering, if it's lifting your hands, if it's singing a song to God, if it's speaking something out of your heart, offer a spiritual sacrifice to him right now. Something that makes you have to die, essentially. If you got to kneel, kneel. If you got to come to the altar, come to the altar. Offer a spiritual sacrifice. If we're going to be a, a living, if we're going to be a, a, a spiritual house, let's offer up some sacrifices. Some of you guys might need to give more on the offering when we're done. I'm not sure. Whatever the spiritual sacrifice is, we, we, we must offer it to him. That's what we are as the house of God. The house of God. We, we offer up a living sacrifice to you, God. Break our heart for what breaks yours, God. Give us compassion for the lost. Help us care more about those who yet to believe. We've got a lot of singers in the room. I, need to, I think some people need to be singing as a sacrifice to the Lord. Even if you're not a singer. Hallelujah. 
Whatever is sacrificial to you, offer it to the Lord. Offer it to him. Offer it to him. God, we worship you. God, we honor you. Never will we lack in zeal for your house. No matter what the chapter is of our life, if we're single, if we're married, if we're expecting, if we just had a child, we will never lack in zeal and enthusiasm. If we just got a new job, if we just got fired from our last one, never will we be lacking in zeal. If that bonus check came in, if it doesn't, no, no matter what, we will not lack in zeal. If our job stations us to another shift, that's not a two, we will not lack in zeal and enthusiasm. Never, never. spiritual house for an impartation of your zeal for the house of God. The Lord, I believe the Lord is saying that a lot of us need to focus our zeal. We need to focus our zeal towards the house of God. There's a lot of things fighting for our passions. There's a lot of things tugging at us for our zeal. But the Lord says, if you can just tunnel and focus that vision towards the house, you will be in the will of God. If you want to be in the will of God, focus your zeal towards the house of God. And you will find yourself in alignment with Jesus himself, who the word says was consumed with zeal for the Father's house. So Jesus, we are, we are aligning ourselves with you. We're caring about what you care about, and we're not caring about what you don't care about. We love you, Jesus. We are with you, Jesus. We are with you, Jesus. We just took communion. We are with you. If you want to receive him today, repeat this prayer after me. 
He will come into your heart. If you say it with faith and believe it in your heart, you will have the same powerful, mighty, fiery, but gentle, but kind, but wise Jesus living on the inside of you. It will, he will change your life. So repeat these words after me. Say, Father, in the name of Jesus, I confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that he died on the cross for my sins and was raised from the dead on the third day. Forgive me of my sins and make me a new person in Christ. Lord Jesus, I choose you to be the Lord of my life. Fill me with the Holy Spirit so I can live for you every day. In the name of Jesus, amen. Jesus is alive in you. He is alive in you. He is alive in you. You said it. I believe. You said it. It is. You said it. I believe it. You said it. It is done. You This is why we can't lose our zeal for the house of God because the presence of God is present in the house of God. We have to keep together. We have to keep pressing and offering spiritual sacrifices to God because miracles happen. Miracles happen. I know he's moving in a all of our, a lot of our hearts. I pray all of our hearts. That's my prayer. He's moving in mind. We've got four more weeks of talking about zeal for the house of God. I invite you to come. If you can't come, listen to the messages. But be here. Be here. Honestly, what is more important? Let's, let's be here. I love you, and I want to pray a prayer. If you said yes to Jesus, I want you guys to uh, let us know. We've got a great texting system that we can uh, 
send you some information that's going to give you the word of God, that's going to help you in your faith. So, so text the word yes to Jesus or the words yes to Jesus. Yes to Jesus. And it's T-O, not to. Uh, to 77411. Please do that if you receive Jesus today. If you would like prayer, you can go to our website. We collect prayer requests via our website. We've got leaders here that can pray for you. There's two that will be here once everyone goes back to their seat. Please come for prayer. Whatever it is you need, we're here to serve you. We're a spiritual house. We're a house of prayer. Uh, and then after service, if you want to get more connected to the church, we've got Next Steps. Our founding pastors are going to be leading Next Steps. You can learn how to get more involved so you can start serving. <laughs> serving the Lord together. Um, but let's pray. Father, we love you. We honor you. We honor your presence. Lord, we thank you for the zeal for the house of the Lord. Thank you for sharing that zeal in us, for, with us. Lord, I pray for that zeal to grow during this month and for the rest of our lives so that we can obey the scripture and never lack in zeal, but to keep our spiritual fervor serving you. We're here for you, God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Have a great rest of the afternoon. The altar's open if you want prayer.